Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Oh, busy. Busy. Ooh, you all uh, you stacked up? Oh, I'm so busy. You're, you're so busy. Are I'm you not being, used to it. You know, I, I shouldn't say this, but I am not very busy in mm. general. And when I get busy, it's extremely stressful to me. Yeah, I'm not used to it. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, 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 I read these... Uh, I was about to say I read autobiographies of of important people, but that's a lie. I read um, I read reviews of autobiographies in the New Yorker mm-hmm. by important people of important people, and all these biographies make uh, important people sound like they are just going, 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 going. They they do they do more in like a week than you and I could do in two lifetimes. Yeah, important people are just they're they're so busy. People in Hollywood are busy. They're pitching this. They're writing a script. They're. I heard this. I think I, I was half listening, uh, which is really the only way to listen to NPR. And I, I think they said that uh, the uh, the sitting president has something like five campaign appearances in the next four hours. I haven't been five places in forty eight hours in my whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they they sleep four hours a day and they feel rested and vibrant and away yeah. they go. And I got up this morning at seven o'clock in the morning and I got in a car, my car, mm-hmm. and I drove into the town. I saw this, and all the people, the other people, were also driving into the town. The other people in their cars, and I I was appalled. Yeah, they were using my roads first of all. Yeah. But uh, but all this busyness and and uh, and then I had to go there and then a per- the person I was I was seeing was like, well, can you come back this afternoon? And I was like, no, I'm busy. I have I have a lot of busyness. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if I don't know if I'm suited for this. Mm-mm. All this busyness. I mean, I know that that's what you have to do in order to get someone get the New Yorker to write a review of your autobiography or your biography, I guess. I have no, I have no interest in writing an autobiography. You're going to need an office for that. <laughs> and and as long as we're talking about it, I'll just say that a lot of those people, probably Benjamin Franklin, notwithstanding, a lot of those people have handlers. They have handlers. They have schedulers. They have assistants, I, I, and they've given themselves over. And they just, you know, basic Bill Murray, right? What time and what do I wear? They just show up, and somebody points them somewhere, clips a mic on them, and they start talking. Yeah, you're exactly right. Are, Speaking uh, of Ben Franklin, mm-hmm. you, you have my attention. I was thinking, I was lying in bed last night, and and I was thinking about our coinage, as you do. Oh, and the, I, the numis, numismatic coinage. Numismatic coinage. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, the quarter has Washington on it. Mm-hmm. That seems reasonable. Uh, the nickel has Jefferson. Eminently reasonable. The penny is Lincoln. Mm-hmm. The half dollar used to be Benjamin. Dimes got Roosevelt, right? Franklin. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, um, and now it's Kennedy. Mm-hmm. All that seems right. The dime has Roosevelt. Seems perfectly plausible. Yeah, but then, well, why not? But then, do you remember the old silver dollar, the big one, the one that was the size of a of a, of a coaster? Not the Kennedy one. No, that's a half dollar. The oh, big sorry. One, the big one had Eisenhower on it. What? The biggest American coin Ugh. ever minted. That's like giving Duran Duran an Emmy or a, a Grammy Award. Yeah, it had Eisenhower on it. And my whole life, I have, I have, I have accepted that the that the old silver dollar had mm. had had Eisenhower on it. And then last night, I'm lying in bed and I was like, "Wait a minute, Eisenhower." That's the, see, that's the kind of thing. Like, I'm sorry, I'm typing. That's the kind of thing that would send me flying out of bed to go and look it up because it seems so wrong. 
I mean, I can nothing, think... I mean, nothing against Eisenhower. He's yeah, a good and I'm man. Not, I'm not opposed to Eisenhower either. <gasps> I totally remember this. They were big. They were very big. They're, they're, they are the size of the woofer in a, in a stereo speaker. Eisenhower dollar. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, although Eisenhower, I think, was a, was a very fine president and a, and a nice man, I can think of six presidents that should have been on that coin before Eisenhower. Hmm. So there must have been some horse trading, some... some uh, some you know post-war. This sounds like a jam up to me. Nineteen. First of all, it was only 1971 to 1978. I'm just saying that that a decision had to have come before 1971. The guy had been dead for when did he die? Like uh, he died not too long after he left office, right? Eisenhower? No, I think he lived a little. He lived a little ways into the 60s. Let's uh, check he? out Ike. Mamie Eisenhower stuck around. Mm-hmm. But you know you're right. That that was the era where 1969. He he saw Vietnam. Yeah, right. Saw a man walk on the moon. Mm. Eisenhower. Almost, almost. He missed it by three months, four months. Oh, isn't that isn't that a pity? Oh come on! Doesn't that suck? March 28th, 1969. It was July. Early July. Was that right? Yeah. Who's running this show? That Eisenhower didn't get to see a man walk on the moon. I got to tell you, John. This is this is fucking ridiculous. We got a stack of problems here. First of all, that guy should have gotten to see that. I think. Don't you think he mainly got on there for being a general? Don't you think? I think you're right. I think that's exactly I right. I think he got a Ulysses S. Grant type situation. He won World War II, and that's why they put him on the big coin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, his eight years as president and all that, uh, I mean, that's fine, too. Sure. That, that really burnishes the image. Hmm. But it's but you know what? Retired general, that's what it was. Retired general. Well, it's beyond the purview of this show to do a lot of research, but to the best... Uh, okay, I know from the past that you're somebody who's interested in becoming a CIA operative. I know you're interested in what's really going on. I'm also equally super interested in what's going on. I want to know what the fuck happened. I want to know who else was in the running. I want to know who lost to Eisenhower. Right. right. Now, who else would have, you know. Like- you, say this, you say there's probably, I, I mean, and, you know, Roosevelt, I think you got to give the guy props for, for longevity. Mm-hmm. And, and for, uh, for a guy who couldn't use his legs, he got a lot of tail. I think you got to give him credit for that. You know what? And <laughs> only three-term president. That counts for something. It was only three? He didn't go four? My mom uh, said when she was a kid, Roosevelt was always president. <laughs> he just was. Uh, he was. He was the it, president. It was like it was like having. It was like being around when Victoria, Victoria was queen. I think for two hundred and fifty years. You right. just. You just. You just get used to it. That's just the thing we do. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't. They don't talk about a Rooseveltian era, era like they do the Victorian era. But she was queen <laughs> longer. <laughs> I think she also. I think she also stepped out on her spouse, as did uh, Franklin. Oh, well, back in the Victorian times, my God, everybody was lifting everybody else's skirt. Do you think she was a tiger in the sack? I think that she might have preferred the company of other ladies. And you have a different sack for that? You get a Victorian sack? Well, definitely have a different sack. <laughs> See, when you become Queen Victoria and you get a, an era named after you, I think you get yeah. as many rooms and as much discretion as you like. Sure, you get to have you get to have Zulu... Uh, Chambermaids and oh, Zulu chambermaid. <laughs> yeah. Did Josh just sign them? Yeah, that's amazing. That's right. I was I was about to make a Zulu sound, but I don't know what that is. I, I, I for one would be very interested in having a Zulu chambermaid. I'd like to at least look into it. Uh, I, you know, I would like to. Boy, what I would do with a couple of Zulu chambermaids? A chambermaid changes the sheets. They do things with beds. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, they're there. Uh, they're, they're there with the wash basin. They're there with the what's the name of the wash basin where you go poop in the night? Chamber pot. Chamber pot. 
Chamber pot. Do you think she has to, the chambermaid, Zulu or otherwise, do they have to uh, deal with the chamber pot? I'm pretty sure if you, if you have a, if you are a maid and there is a pot Mm -hmm. and your title says chamber and the pot is, says chamber. Oh, and that's, that's oh, your, oh, oh, that, oh, oh. Uh, you know, that is what chamber is a euphemism for. Hmm. Hmm. Chamber is a euphemism, not for room, but for poop. I, let me put it this way. If I were a chambermaid and, uh, <laughs> great Robin Hitchcock song, and, and, and I had been on the payroll for a while, I got had some credibility, and there was an opening, and they were bringing in, say, a new scullery maid, I would personally lobby to have the name of that change to the scullery pot. Because I think that's an opportunity to maybe take one of the less pleasant parts of your jobs and shunt wait, it wait, off wait, to but someone else. Scullery maid is the one who's washing your cutlery and your bowls and stuff. You don't She's want her down also there scrubbing. Scr- oh, I see. You don't cross- want her washing your poop pot. Cross contamination. Yeah, that's like that's bottom of the house stuff, and chambermaid is top mm, of the house. Bottom of the house. We should stay away from scullery maids, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but seriously though, I, I I feel like I feel like John Adams should have a coin. Hmm. I feel like uh, uh, there there are there are a couple of presidents that I was going to ask you. You said you thought maybe what like five or six. There's five or six. Or you put Wilson. I guess well as we know, Wilson's on the hundred thousand dollar bill. Yeah, and I frankly, frankly, I have some misgivings about Wilson. But hmm. T.R. There's no Teddy Roosevelt coin. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's. I mean, maybe a, not, it's like a PETA thing. You think? I think it might be. I think I think people might have a hard time. He's a little robust for today's culture, don't you think? He is. He would. He would. I think people would blanch. You're kind of like the TR of your time in a lot of ways. Oh, that's sweet of you. I, I have never. Um, no one's never named a stuffed bear after me. <laughs> as far as I know, <laughs> not, 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 unless they were, just took a knife to it and tore out all the stuffing. <laughs> You're John. <laughs> you know, they took a knife to it, threw out all the stuffing, and packed it full of diamonds. <laughs> And then carried, and then put it in their anus and carried it across an international border. I love that movie. <laughs> wow, wow. Um, and you know, but here's the other thing. Now, do you think it's a obviously in some ways it's a huge honor to be on a on a shitty low denomination coin because there's more of them, right? See, Lincoln is my favorite president, hmm. but I hate pennies. You're a penny hater. I'm one of those guys. Wow. I, I think we could get rid of the nickel, too. I think maybe we, we get Lincoln onto a better coin. I think we could put Lincoln on a dime. It would be fine. You know what I think we should do? We should put we should put Roosevelt on maybe like... you know, $500 bill? Okay, what if we put Lincoln on the $3 bill? Mm. Because he, he, was, he was homosexual, right? Mm. Queers a Lincoln $3 bill? Mm. Come on, am I trying to put on the notes? I hate no, pennies. No. I hate I, them. I can't understand how you can hate pennies. Pennies are pennies are such a wonderful piece of of numismatic history. What do you do? <laughs> so is slavery. Like ah! what? What do you do? What do you do with pennies? Put them in a jar, and Hello? they just stack up, and you keep them. And do you ever cash them in, or is it just talismanic? Oh. I don't. I don't cash them in because, because as you know, or maybe you don't know, but mm-hmm. you probably do know. At a certain point, they stopped making pennies out of pure copper mm-hmm. because a penny, the the copper in a penny was worth three and a half cents. It, yeah, it costs like two or three times as much as the coin. Yeah, so they started making they started making pennies out of zinc and coating them with copper. Oh. But most of the most of the coins in circulation that are that have a precious metal value higher than their their face value are. People have combed through their pocket change. You very seldom find silver, 
but you can you can find pure copper pennies uh, every time you pick up a handful of change. Does it have to be a wheat penny? No, 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 no. Any, any penny up until uh, they switched over to zinc in the nineties, I think. It's a Clinton thing. Probably, yeah. It's like it's like, it's like going off the gold standard, except it's going onto the zinc standard. Can I tell you what my one thing in my brain? My for every time I hear the gold standard, I think of exactly the same thing. Um, and this is, this is tells you the power of media. Is all I remember is Thurston Howell was mad that we gone off the gold standard. Wow, yeah. really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. Thurston, it, well, like it was in like it was in like the sixties, right? Wasn't uh, Nixon took us off the gold standard? But but what wasn't the what? what I might be I might be hallucinating. Early sixties? It was the mid sixties. Hmm. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I might, you know what? Even my one piece of incorrect information might be wrong. Here's a question for you. This mm-hmm. is something you might know. Gilligan's Island started off as a black and white TV show, and then it became a color TV show. Correct. How many other TV shows had that experience? Did Bonan- Did that happen to Bonanza? It's a very good question. I don't know about Bonanza. Bonanza, I think, was always in color. Gunsmoke, obviously, definitely mm. started. I had to explain this to my daughter the other night. I had to explain black and white things to my daughter. What did she? How did she take well, it? Well, how do you explain it to somebody? It's like it's. I mean, it's very difficult. All, you know, her one of her favorite phrases right now is "Oh, brother, it's so boring." <laughs> and that's and that's like getting her hair brushed. It's like you know oh, anything. It's so it, boring. Oh, oh, brother, it's oh, so brother. boring. And and uh, and she doesn't like black and white things. And, and it's funny because like when it comes to comics and stuff, she, or you know, she she always favors the more colorful thing over <laughs> the more monochromatic thing. And I was trying to tell her that like when I was a kid, when I was a kid. Like I, we didn't have a color TV at our house. We, um, you know, they were around, but it was. I think it was much more costly to make things in color. Yeah, and they you had waited to watch until... TV through a periscope. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really big deal because you remember, like, um, well, I'm thinking it wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't Batman, but it would be like they would say like whatever Dragnet in color. Because it was a really big deal. It was like the uh, not the 3D of the time, but you know what I mean. It was a, it was yeah, a huge sure. deal. I remember. I remember our first color TV. In fact, I remember somebody, I don't know how this happened, but at some point in the 70s, I was given as a gift, and I'm talking about me personally, not my family, but I was given as a gift a portable color TV. Oh, come on. Which was the size of a milk crate and weighed 45 pounds, but it was a color TV and portable. And someone, I don't remember how this came to be mine, but... It was this portable color TV, and whenever someone would get, whenever someone we knew would get sick or a relative would be bedridden, my mom would like poke me in the ribs and say, Offer them your TV. And I would loan my portable color TV, which of course I had no independent control over. My, it's not like I could go turn it on and watch it. My mom would have been like, There was TV time at our house, and it was two hours long. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I would I would like the carry news, this <laughs> the news and Mike Douglas, and then we turn it off. <laughs> then we turn it off, and you get one scoop of ice cream, one scoop of vanilla ice cream, and then to bed. <laughs> but uh, but I would carry this color TV out to the car. We would uh, it, I would sit next to it on the back seat. We would drive it over to whatever infirm person it was that wasn't lucky enough to have a TV. Well, but this is the thing because a TV was something that sat in the living room and they were in bed. Right. And it was it was it was at that I don't know, you're talking about being a kid, so I, I can relate. It was 
it was always it was weird when you started meeting people that had more than one TV. It seemed really to yeah. me. It always seemed like you were really rich if you had a color TV. If you had two color TVs, because back then you had a, a TV in your living room that was a piece of furniture, right. and then in maybe like a den or a family room, you would have usually a, a crappy black and white TV on a uh, TV table. Uh huh. Because <laughs> you get that, you get that from SNH Green Stamps, and it had wheels, and you yeah. could put your TV guides and whatnot underneath. And uh, but you're what you're right, and it was an. I don't remember the first person I met that had two TVs. I think that I think it was into the 80s before I knew somebody that had two TVs. Well, I think, but, but except for except for this this color portable TV that that's somehow very was costly, John. That's a very that's a heck of an item you had there. Oh, I, and it was a prize possession, and I don't I, like I say it's not like I that's turned like giving it on. up your toothbrush or something. You ride that ride in the car must have been awful. Well, but the thing is, I felt like I was doing it. This was the kind of good deed uh, Samaritan kind of thing that was instilled in me by my parents. Like, you are doing a good thing. You're taking this TV to help a sick person. And I would sit, I would sit proudly in the back seat and think, I am like a doctor. <laughs> I am a doctor of TV, mm. of, a, of color TV delivery. And, you know, and, and the little old lady, we'd set the TV up on her on her dinner tray, and she'd be like, oh, thank you so much. That's so good. What a nice TV. It must have seemed like magic. Boy. Hmm. I was always envious. I was, I was filled with envy as a child. I was, not, I was not generous like that. Is that right? Well, no. I was, I was, we didn't have a lot, and I was selfish about what we had. Yeah. And I really, 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 in that instance, I really liked TV. Like, if we yeah. went to loan him a crock pot, pot, I'd be like, more power to you, Mom. I'm not going to miss that. <laughs> Unless we start getting happy days on the crock pot, you're good to go. I think I think if I was ungenerous with my things, uh my mom would take it away from me. If I was like, No, it's mine, she'd be like, No, it's nobody's. Would she really do that? One one time this is still a traumatic memory for me. Mm. One time she was always she was always trying to get me to clean my room and I was one of those kind of passive kids that was like, I'm gonna do it, I'll do it in a second. And she came in and she was like, I said, clean your room. Oh, yeah, I was just about to do it. And I could keep that game going for six months. I'm just about to do it. And uh, one time I put all my toys in the closet, just kind of stuffed them in the closet Mm -hmm. and shut the door. And my mom came in. She was like, you cleaned your room. And I was like, yeah. She said, good boy, you know. And 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 actually gave me like a reward, praise, which I received knowing I did not deserve it. And then later I was out running around the neighborhood and she went in my room and opened the closet door and discovered that I had stacked all my toys in the closet. And her response was that she climbed in the closet and jumped up and down <laughs> until the biggest piece of toy was like the size of a uh, of a Roosevelt dime. Holy, that's completely bananas. She she demolished them. And these were models I had built. These were like That's that's psychotic, John. And I Did she I do came, stuff like that a lot? Well, not a lot. This was this made quite an impression. She didn't need to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You only have to do that once. Decimation. And she was like, you know, and I think what what she was she was maddest that I had that I had uh, misled her, that I had portrayed the room as being clean and had accepted the congratulations. 
And she was like, this is what happens. It is that all toys become atomized. <laughs> and, and now we're, now we're going to start over. Now, now we're going to start, start at the beginning. And maybe you'll get a toy at Christmas. And I was oh like, oh, my God. lesson learned. Wow. I don't, I don't think I could do that. I'll, sc- pretty- I'll screw with my kid a little bit on, with stuff like that. But I, I, I would never actually like, break them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, but it, but it made it made it had an impact on you. It was a different time, you know. Mm-hmm. We, we 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 the Soviets were right over the horizon. People you today don't understand. They don't you understand. Muck around. It was a more serious time. It was. You could make models, but you 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 sure as shit better put them in the right place when when they're made. That's exactly right. God, you must I, have been heartbroken. Well, I was, but the lesson I think or the long term lesson was don't get attached to stuff. Yeah, that's, and, that's very uh, wise. Well, it is, except that right. I'm I'm speaking to you now, live from a room that uh, that looks like an outtake from Storage Wars, where um, where the guy emptied out a like a, a 50 foot storage container full of broken music equipment and old hats. <laughs> it's you're like the end of Citizen Kane, except you've actually taken everything out of all the boxes. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I made a terrible mistake a few years ago when my when my sort of uh, casual hobby of popping into thrift stores and browsing around looking for a couple of choice items became a dedicated pursuit of thrifting as a, um, as a way of keeping the demon dogs off my trail. You know what I mean? Like uh, this is a formulation that, that I, that, that I use a lot, but I feel like everybody's got, or not everybody, there are some people with no demon dogs at all, but those of us that have demon dogs nipping at our heels, we do things to put to keep them at bay. And, and at a certain point, I put all my demon dog eggs in the basket that I bought at a thrift store. <laughs> like I, the thrift store basket that I bought at a thrift store. And I go to them now as a form of retail therapy and as a form of like, it's the it, it is i use it like other people use going to the movies or eating it it's a kind of entertainment i go and i and i and i paw through these bins and the inevitable consequence of that is that little by little and i mean i don't i i often go to a thrift store and don't buy a thing but little by little i have filled up my house with crap other people's detritus and um and I, and I, it's it's untenable, but particularly because having bought all this stuff at thrift stores, I know it is. I know the crevices are packed with other people's dander. <laughs> you know, like so every, most of these things have not been properly de-dandered. Well, I mean, I try and de-dander them as much as you can, but uh, but as you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of there's a little bit of uh, DNA left on a lot of this stuff. I have I have to guess. You know, yeah, I found I found a couple of leather, leather uh, bound, leather coated globe bookends that look like ye olde globes that are bookends. They're covered with dander, I bet. <laughs> I read a thing the other day about how people in England don't wash their hands. Like one in four people in England has poop on their hands, and wow. and about how even just like entering a room, like there's elements of your personal dander that can be in that room for like weeks. Hmm. You know, so 
but let me just say this. I, I, I see, I have my own demon dogs at my own heels. And so I appreciate this. I think for me right now, that's comics, but, but what you're talking about, I see the appeal of this in so many ways just on an existential level. I mean, first of all, there's the thing of like, well, retail therapy, as you say, like, you're, but you're not going out and buying like, you know, coach purses or something. You're not going right. out and saying, I just need to spend $400 to feel whole today. It's much more complex than that because right. you've also introduced dis- a discriminating taste. You've introduced, um, not chance exactly, but it's almost but there is like, an element of treasure hunting or chance. Oh, no, yeah. no, absolutely. But this is the, the the big thing of it, and it's neat. I mean, like it's fun. Like with me and my comics, I like just like leafing through them and organizing them and doing all that kind of stuff, which you get to do, and you know, dedandering. But 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 there's also when you get into that, uh, if you're honest about it, I think it becomes like, in if you're honest with yourself, you realize there's some puzzle. Like you don't have the cover of the box. You, all you know is that there are pieces of some puzzle that you're discovering, and you're not even sure what puzzle it goes to, but right. somehow this piece feels right, and this piece does not. But I'm going to put it over here just in case it and, – and I think that's what happens. When you become a collector and you become like you know a thrift shopper, I think you get into a groove. You talked about this with one of your ladies who was like a, uh, like a serious, like hardcore thrift shopper and the, the right. types that do this. But I, I think there's an existential puzzle that you're probably unintentionally trying to solve. Well, it, there is. And I, I mean, I remember when I crossed the threshold of having more than 40 brass candlesticks, <laughs> the people in my life closest to me started to, they started to do that little side to side, dance where that that people do right before they're going to stage an intervention you know like i bet you've seen like, that dance a lot hi god hi oh what is, what's in the bag oh <laughs> oh more candlesticks and i was like yeah check this one out this one's like clearly 110 years old you know uh-huh. and and they were just they were just about to intervene and say listen this is something's wrong with you that you have this many candlesticks and and i reached a i reached a point where I had every brass candlestick that I, I had every kind of brass candlestick that I could think of. And I started to go to thrift stores and I would see, I would see racks of brass candlesticks and I would just be like, hmm, those are junk. I don't need any of that. And I haven't bought a brass candlestick in two years. Huh. So the puzzle, the puzzle was completed. The puzzle was completed. And I have no idea what candlestick it was that I finally got that was like, ta-da. There it is, the missing one. So it isn't it isn't a thing where you have to have every brass candlestick you find. It isn't that you've got to like, you know, go to a drive to different towns to make sure that this one, you know, whatever uh, you know, 1938 Superman comic version of a of a candlestick is out there. <laughs> you you a day came along and you realized. Now what about other things globes? Are you are you where you need to be with globes, do you think? I'm where I need to be. If I see like I saw a globe the other day that was that was pretty cool, 80 years old, and very, very weathered, and the, the patina was what made it cool. Uh, but as I looked at it, I realized, no, it's not, it does, I, again, like you're saying, it is not the, the shape, the puzzle shape that I need to fit into, you know, like, the, all of these collections are, everything that I, that I, that I acquire, like, there, there is a docking port still open for the next cool thing but but i but i've never been a completist like i need to have every issue or i need to have every 
one of a certain kind of thing. It's I'm looking for I looking I'm looking for things. That's a different kind of collecting OCD, probably. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but but I think what needs to happen. The other thing is that I I because I find these things for very very cheap. I I'm so reluctant to sell them. That's what I was going to say. I mean, <clears throat> some people who are not hoarders, uh, but collectors, they'll start kind of saying, okay, this is how much space I have for my collection right. to be public. This is an area where I put stuff that's, you know, like at a museum, right? You don't have everything on display all the time. But right. you know that in this box, these are my other 14 Iron Man figures right. or whatever. And then you get a new Iron Man figure that's really cool. And, like, you might take your least cool Iron Man figure and, and, and get and rid of it. Sell it off or like, you know, take the least interesting one in the box and sell that. You know what I mean? Where you've got... But you this know, question of value is <clears throat> at the heart of the thing, you know, because I go to a place and there, and this thing is 50 cents, but I know it's worth $50. And then I get it and I bring it home and I put it on the, on the, the, the desk and I go, that's worth $50 and I got it for 50 cents. But I don't really think it's worth $50. Because I got it for fifty cents. Mm. To sell it for fifty dollars feels uh, um, not wrong, but it cheapens the. I would much rather take that take the things that I am done with that the the Iron Man figure that is the least important to me and just put it back into the river. Just oh, take it down yeah. to the thrift store in a box and give it back to the the thrift store because Cause somebody, like, it's cause somebody will want that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like the thrift store that might be, that might be somebody a, else's puzzle piece. It's kind of a, a Gaia figure. It's like a, it's a mother earth <laughs> and the mother earth, you know, has these big forested teats, which she provides manna to us hmm. through. And, uh, and part of that manna is, uh, this constant steady flow of brass tchotchkes. Uh, that that issue forth from her uh, teats, <laughs> and so I then she take, should probably have that looked at. I take the uh, I take the cornucopia that I have unloaded, and I fill it up with with old stuff, and I take it back to the Mother Gaia hmm. store. That's a lot of metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I um, hmm, hmm. I I'm so, well, I've heard people say I have heard it's, it is said. That uh, that if you are truly a collector, it mm. only becomes a collection when you have more than two, and you put them somewhere and take care of them, right? So, mm. so this well, is I'm, this I'm is what, clearly not a collector of wives. <laughs> for any variety, I think you failed at every every test on that one. Well, take care of it. What? Public. Put it somewhere. Why would That's I tell my responsibility? Why would, he, why would I tell anybody who that is? That's weird. Uh, but you know, and, and so like, for example, my friend, um, uh, my very good friend, Dennis Gephardt, uh, back in Florida, very, very interesting guy. I might've mentioned him to you. He, um, he was very tidy. He had very, he, you know, he kind of treasured everything that he had and didn't have things he didn't treasure. You know, he's not one of those guys, you know, there are those guys who will buy 25 pairs of shoes and they're all over the floor or there's guys who have 25 pairs of shoes and they're all in plexiglass. Like he would have five well-maintained pairs of shoes, like a gentleman. Oh, I admire that. I admire that. I think that's the way to be. That's the it way is. to be. And, and Dennis is. was, I believe, of the one-in-one-out school. So it's if you got a new pair word, of shoes... But, but to curate your belongings... Yeah, it's an art. It's absolutely an art. Well, and here's why, here's why Den- I look to Dennis as a... Well, a paragon of so many things. We went to college together, and we were eventually roommates in Florida and in Tallahassee. But uh, one of the best guys I've ever known, and he collected many interesting things. He collected 
um, before it was fashionable and ironic, he collected like human uh, eyes. <laughs> I call them co-ed orbs. But he he would collect, uh, for example, like what you might call outsider art, which in this case oh, yeah. was like things people had painted themselves that he found at sure. At that's big stores. down in the Tallahassee. Well, now it's a thing. There. Well, now it's a thing. Yeah. But um, no, but what he collected is his primary collection, and I knew this when we went to college together, and I'd heard about it. And the first time I saw it, first time I met Dennis, he's probably six two, and he was wearing overalls. He's from Arkansas. He's a very colorful guy. I like this guy. Very interesting guy. Now uh, works on Wall Street, mm-hmm. and but he has uh, he collects. Now, when I say that he collects ETs, the, your first thought might be, oh, he goes out and he gets like little ET figurines, and he's got a hundred of them on a, on a shelf. No, that was he, my first thought. That's your first thought, as you mm-hmm. do. But he doesn't just collect ETs. He he and he collects like ceramic ETs. He creates ETs that people have like made out of craft projects, but he only collects unlicensed, like homemade ceramic mm. ETs. This is like the, the, uh, the velvet painting of Elvis that is done really badly. Oh, the, the, like a the five, the five second mix. But the thing is, it, it's not really just purely ironic. He really genuinely, loves these things and he but the thing is he's got like eight or nine of them uh-huh. probably but it was great because he'd walk you walk in the house and all his et's were in a cabinet in our in our in the corner but you know like the nice thing is now if he just collected et's you'd walk up and you go oh that's really cool you got like a hundred et's and i'll look at that one that one's got a little nick on it, it looks like a kid bit that one no these are all incredibly fucked up looking because et is super weird looking to begin with right but these are like painted they're they look like maybe special people made them and they're all super shiny because they're like ceramic now i admire this I, 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 cause the thing is, well, it would, it would have been real easy for him to go, I collect ET stuff. And then he's just a weirdo with a bunch of stuff in boxes, but he has a collection. It's taken him 30 years to put together and it's got like nine items in it. Right. Wow. He's still, cause, cause, you know, it gets hard, it gets harder and harder over the years to find a good outsider ET. But that's the kind of collecting I admire because he goes to thrift stores. He'll get things. Of course, he gets rid of other things. But to me, that's like, that's a gentleman. If you're collecting off brand, you know, uh, unlicensed ETs, and then displaying them. That, that what, what, I, I what admire is the that. name? What is the name for the Japanese uh, little little porcelain figures that that are um, that are sort of a, a a big a big part of of Japanese culture? I mean, I guess every every little shotskis, little uh, every little chachki is a kind of part of. Is Japanese it the kind culture. that like rock around like we like uh, weebles? Uh, they, I don't think they are, they are weebles exactly. No, I don't, I don't think I know this. No, there, there, there was a book about them. I know about, I know about erasers that look like food. My kid loves those. Erasers that look like food. Mm-hmm. Huge. You know, another guy like that is, uh, Scott Pluff, the drummer of Built to Spill. Hmm. In, 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 uh, in, in Seattle, every restaurant you walk into has an ironic collection of bad paintings on the walls. $700 each. But Scott has this collection of of portraits naive portraits he, he, in a room in his house you walk in and 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 you look at the wall and your first thought is like oh it's like a, it's like a hipster bar anywhere in the northwest where there's a bunch of thrift store paintings but then as you look at the paintings one after another you realize that he probably has 8 of them and there is no way but that they represent a lifetime of cultivating this collection because each one of these paintings that are they're Hmm. clearly thrift store paintings each one of them is the greatest thrift store painting you ever saw 
Oh, like like well executed, incredible. Not just well executed, but like captures an ineffable ineffable aspect of human the human condition. You know what I mean? Like each mm-hmm. portrait is not just a great representation of a person, but also like a an actual work of art that by the by the style and by the frame you know was also found for a dollar by someone and the only way to have those eight paintings together in a room is to have yourself bought and have been given 400 paintings in the course of your life mm-hmm. and you got rid of 392 of them wow in order to have in order to have these eight, you know, like some, he's just, he's a magnet, but he's also, he has this incredible aesthetic and he's a drummer. So, I mean, you know, it's not like he's really overcome a lot. You'd never, you'd never know it by looking at him, but oh my God, this collection of paintings, you know, belongs in a museum. And in fact, his house is like that. So I, I, I I, I really admire that. You could, you could do that. Now this could be a project. Here's the other thing. I mean, like you say, demon dogs, like with me, I, and with comics, it's easy because there's always another comic you need to fill in this part, to learn this part. And now with, in me, with me, this is so simple because I could just buy it online. I could get it off the internet or whatever. But in your case, I mean, you you have puzzles inside of puzzles. Yeah, I need to get. I think I think the next puzzle for me is the puzzle of of getting rid of stuff. It is the it's the agony and the ecstasy idea of chipping away all the stone that isn't Michelangelo's David. Hmm. I need to get rid you of... You might looking, have that. You should check. You, 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 <laughs> look, I do have the agony in the exodus here somewhere. Now, between, but you might sand- have a David. You know, it might be inside some of that dander. Sandwiched between the joys of Yiddish and American <laughs> aircraft World War II, Volume 1. Uh, yeah, like, I'm just looking at my bookshelves now, and I'm thinking, I have a lot of books, and 90% of them could go into a pyre, and the remaining 10% would be an awesome collection of books. But, oh, that's too much to take on. I'm, I'm a, did I mention I'm a really busy guy right now? Yeah, is it busy with our thing? Oh, that among other things. You know, I made a Christmas record with Jonathan Colton. Oh, right. And you guys, are you guys of, touring on that? Is that- we, we're doing a tour in the, in the, in the winter. And I'm flying, I'm going back to Max FunCon this weekend. Oh, and, dude. That's know, a lot. We, See, this is, okay, here's the thing. Now, mm. you and I, slackers like us, we can sit around mm. and talk about how we're busy, but let's be honest. I mean, most of the time, not now, most of the time, we're busy with stuff that nobody could fucking give a shit about and wouldn't know if it never happened. Correct. Like, for me, I can go, oh, there's this thing I really wanted to do, or there's this, you know, there's no public humiliation involved if it's a day late. Right. But it sounds like you've got time-sensitive stuff where you really are busy like a fucking normal man. I'm busy. I have to get on an airplane. you got to get and, on a couple airplanes, don't you? And I have to have that stuff done. So, yes. And, and also, you gotta I'm doing a car. you got to get us a car. you got to get craft services. i got to do that. I'm, fly- I'm going to Europe in November. I'm doing Whoa. some shows. I'm, uh, uh, this, uh, I'm, 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 I'm performing in a reenactment of The Last Waltz in San Francisco. What? In- is, it, is it on Thanksgiving? The end of November. It's very close to Thanksgiving. Oh if not my Thanksgiving. god! And all of these things. Who, who do you play? I'm I'm going to be Neil Diamond. <laughs> what does he yeah. sing? Uh, dunk, what is what does he sing in the uh, last waltz? Uh, I see, he, of all the ones that come out, e- even more than like he he sings Ricky. Don't lose that number. <laughs> 
I'm not no, trying. That would be funny. It's the only one you own. <laughs> Even though the song would not come out for another five years. Yeah. But it's one of these things where I where uh, where all the things that I have to do, they're all stacking up. So so yeah. I fly to I fly to um Edinburgh, Scotland, and then I go to Ireland. And then I fly back from Ireland to San Francisco, where I play a show the next night. And then I fly from there to San Diego, where I join Jonathan Colton for a tour across America, at which, which ends in is this the bus it, tour. This is a and he Jonathan Colton has a bus, so <sighs> so it's going to be like That's one of those sweet. things. That's so sweet. Well, it's sweet, except as you know, I am an oversized person. Well, and, compared to what? No, 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 you mean compared to a normal person? Compared to, compared to uh, Rivers Cuomo, yeah, I am an oversized person. You can put him compared, in a glove box. Compared to Daniel Craig, James Bond, mm-hmm. I am a normal, I'm a, I'm an oversized person because he is a, he is not a big person. Is that right? Yeah, because you see these pictures of him uh, walking the red carpet mm-hmm. next to his leading lady, whom you know to be five foot two, right? And he is the same height. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. You know, movie, um, movie actors, they, they don't want them to be too big because they make everybody else look I think big. Humphrey Bogart was pretty short, too. He had very small feet. Daniel Craig uh, is 5'10". No, he's not. That's a total publicist lie. You think so? Huh. 5'10". That's baloney. Baloney. He's got but a in nice any chest. Case, he's, a, he's a handsome man. He very really handsome is. man. But in any case, I get, onto these, uh, I get onto these tour buses and I get into the bunk... Which is oh, scaled right. for a normal sized person, and my toes are touching and my head is touching, Ooh. and I feel like I am, I feel like I am, um, like I have been put, like I've been put into a cigar box and I'm about to be buried in some kid's backyard. Well, I don't want, I don't want to bring it up, you know, bring up an old thing, but you you don't you don't like being. You don't want to be buried alive. You don't like being in a closed space. No, I don't want to be buried alive, and yeah. I don't want to be. I mean, no, nobody wants to be buried alive, <laughs> right? But maybe, I really don't. Maybe Germans. There's probably some Germans that want to be buried. There alive. are some Germans. They call it and... Barry Scheisen. <laughs> but uh, I don't want to be buried alive, and I don't want to be in a tiny bunk when my tour bus rolls on the interstate, and I'm, you know, and I'm crushed into this space that was already too small for me. So anyway, touring touring on a bus is that you know it's kind of a mixed bag. I have slept. Many many nights on a on a like on an open train car hurtling through the mountains, and I'm more comfortable on one of those than I am in a bunk on a tour bus. Mm. So, so you you dreading it a little bit? No, it's one of those like I know I know that I'm going to be tired for six weeks, and that is absolutely endurable considering all the great times the wonderful fun times mm-hmm. that will make up for not really getting a good night's sleep all those people you're gonna get to hug a lot of hugs a lot of people touching you a lot of touching a lot of people a lot of people um looking at me some people looking at their phones i think i'm gonna see a few people looking at their phones but i like going to the uk i i, I know that you earlier in, in the show Stipulated that that one in four people in Britain has poo on their hands. Oh, that's bad. I find I find people in the UK are definitely like window peepers and uh, panty sniffers, but I yeah. think they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. I love I love the country, 
and I will, uh, and, and, and the Northern, I'm not even in Britain. I'm in Scotland and, and Ireland, but they're, you know, they're wonderful people. There. They're like the Canada of England, right? You know, the who Scotland, mm-hmm. they're like the Canada of England. If Canada was Sparta, Hmm. what's Wales? Does Wales count? Is that even still country? <laughs> <laughs> Wales is a country. Increasingly, it is more and more a country all the time. They are re- regaining their um, autonomy. And Wales is like, um, I think that successive waves of uh, invaders came into Wales, and the Welsh did their their old trick, which was to go up in the mountains and throw rocks down. <laughs> ah, the old Welsh trick. The old Welsh trick of throwing rocks down from the mountains. And so it was very hard to subdue them because... Uh, Britmar, Paclaven, it's time for you to learn the old Welsh trick. <laughs> come, with, come with me, yeah, you Morgan. Mean the one where, you mean the one where you go up the mountain and throw rocks down? Oh, yeah. yeah. So they, I so guess they, would, they could subdue the Welsh that, that like got caught down around the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as the as soon as the Romans turned their backs, or the Britons or the Danes turned their backs, those those Welshmen went up in the mountains and started throwing rocks down on them too. So I think both the the Welsh and the Scots have have that in common at least that they were that they were hard hard to subdue. Although the Welsh were finally subdued before the Scots. Well, I I mean I'm, we should probably have an offline about this. I'm, you know, we're probably gonna have to go on hiatus for a little while. It sounds like you're you're gonna be pretty busy but oh, no we can continue to do the podcast we'll just have to do it uh you know, te- now. telegraph or something well i have an iphone 5 now <laughs> oh wow and, uh, so so you uh, don't have a shitty phone anymore well i'm i you know i'm not prepared to say that because i've been trying to use my iphone 5 and uh, it did not import all my text message history oh yeah it didn't do all these things and so i'm like you know i look at it i'm looking at it across the but room at least you can take pictures now Right, I can take nice pictures. I can. Um, I'm not sure what else it allows me to do. Oh, I can talk to Siri if I want to. Mm-hmm. That uh, can be a little frustrating. Still trying to figure out. Uh, you know, I, I think I I think I was prepped for uh, the upgrade to be a transformation in my life, mm-hmm. and um, really, it just works like I wanted my 3GS to work. You know, it just it's it's, it's like a 3GS except it works. Right. 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 Like it works like the three GS did when I got yeah, it. Getting all that stuff to sync and work together is is definitely the hard part. My, my, my concern is for your health. I just oh, want to yeah, make yeah, sure. No. I, I'm worried about. I, I just I'm going to lay this out. I don't want to be controversial. I'm worried about the poop. I'm Merlin. worried about the bunk, and uh, and I don't want you to get stress mumps. I want you well, to make sure that you're taking lysine. Thank you. And thank getting you. sleep when you can. That's important. And now is Jonathan's whole band is Jonathan's whole band. That goofy band is coming. Yeah, Jonathan's band and his and his extended staff. They're like but, a Hanna Barbera cartoon. Including Jonathan's uh, manager, Coom Merch Guy, whom you got along with so well, so we've, famous. We've been, we've been defenses. Okay, good, good. But anyway, Merlin, doing the doing this podcast with you is like a healthful draw, uh, draft of uh, of a draught. How do you fucking pronounce that? Draft of uh, a oh, draught of, of mead. It's a healthy a glass of vitamin enriched mead, honey beer. That I that I look forward to every week. I wouldn't. I would not. Uh, I would well, not John, if it helps at all, I I quaff deep upon thine mead made. Uh, also, too, I do. I, I do. I, I I don't. I don't see any way we could possibly do this while you're gone. I just want to make sure you take care of yourself. That's thoughtful. No, I'm, well, I'm serious, and also make sure you don't get screwed on your uh, phone when you go over there. Well, they'll take yeah, you to the cleaners over there. 
I thought you were going to say don't get screwed by Jonathan and his his uh, his capitalistic business pra- practices. But I'm, 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 I thought I'm, you were learning from him. I thought you were learning how to make money from Jonathan Colton. <laughs> we are both learning how to make money from one another. Oh, really? Do you, do you, do you, I mean, in as much as you can say without, without making it sound like you guys want to make a living, mm. uh, do you, so you, you, you help each other out. You, you're able to give each other notes where the other has shortcomings, deficits, areas for improvement. Well, here's the funny thing. Jonathan Colton is the person who uh, reinvented the music business a few years ago. I read that in the New York Times. Yeah, and then a lot of people were like, well, now the, now the cat is out of the bag. The music business is, uh, it's, all, it's all just uh, put it on the internet for free and let people, and then they buy your t-shirts. Problem solved. And then three or four years went by and everybody went, oh, uh, that's, that only, A, only works for Jonathan Colton, and B, uh, increasingly, like, doesn't work for anybody. And so my experience in the actual music business has started to come in handy with us because as we as we uh, as we are making a Christmas record and trying to promote it, um, we have a guaranteed audience on one hand of people who will buy anything Jonathan Colton puts out, but we want we want to get this record into other people's hands too, and just putting it for free on the internet doesn't it isn't really enough anymore, mm-hmm. you know. So anyway, we're we're we are working in concert, if you will. To make money as performing artists. Mm, changing the game. It is a game-changing change gamer over here. I, it's been funny to watch that from, from sometimes nearby, but mostly a middle distance where Jonathan is, you know, the poster child for all of this stuff. And like, like anything like this though, it's, it's really, it's funny how the air of like having democracy in the air gets people so excited, but then they realize it's still really fucking hard. You know, they go where people go like, "Oh, I would have recorded this song if only I had a sixty-four track studio." Well, now you got a fucking recording studio in your pocket. Like, what have you made? Yeah. You know, or you know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, look at him. He's a like a, he's a half millionaire, and all he had to do was write a zombie song. It's like, well, all he had to do, and then tour yeah. relentlessly, and <laughs> well, and 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 you know, and 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 ultimately practice his guitar for 15 years in order to write a zombie song oh yeah yeah you know where to put the mark on the big machine right yeah um but yeah yeah i don't know that always drives me a little crazy because everybody this has been driving me crazy more and more uh, uh, the uh, the pro uh, the proximity that we all have to people who never have to work again you know you you saw that and and see it all the time in your tech world where <laughs> You know, there you have. You I have don't a lot know of, that many people who never have to work again. I know probably have, half a dozen people who never have to work again. But that's a lot, you know, like a half a uh, dozen people who never I mean, have compared to compared to normal people. That's fine for Merlin. That's fine for Merlin. <laughs> but I mean, I, I know a half a dozen people in rock and roll, or a dozen maybe, who are who don't have to work ever mm-hmm. again. And uh, and now that I'm meeting people in Hollywood who don't have to work, um, it does a job on you. It is. Uh, I'm glad that I didn't go to prep school. I'm glad I did not meet rich people. I mean, like uh, uh, family money rich people. Oh, you mean like perma-rich people. Perma-rich people. I'm glad I did not know them when I was a young person. Because I think that, I think that permanently scars you to be around people who just, bleh, you know, never had to or have to think about money. You think so? I, I find them very relaxed. 
Oh, I know, but I, I, at least if you have my if you have my mind, mm-hmm. I would just be churning, churning, churning. And and I I think I think they they seem very relaxed. It would be me that could never relax. I mean, as it as it was growing. I'm up, sorry. If, if you were perma rich, you'd never relax. If I if I if I had grown up around perma rich okay. people, but was like I am. Oh yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. growing up around middle class people, it's like, well, we're all going to have to get a job. So yeah, it's one thing. It's one thing to have uh, a TV. It's another thing to have a color TV. Yeah. It's another thing to have the color TV and a black and white TV. It's another thing to have five TVs, and it's another thing to know that if you wanted to, you could buy every TV. Yeah, right. Or to have, or to have servants, or or whatever. I mean, I think our friend Sean Nelson, former singer of Harvey Danger, he went to Episcopal High School in Virginia, and a lot of his classmates. Wow, there's like three things about that that are rough. Right. A lot of his classmates were Episcopals, the fake Catholics, right? Yeah. Okay. Episcopal Episcopals are the Catholics in in everything but name, um, because of Henry the Eighth, mm-hmm. but. They were the real, like, sweater knotted around the neck set there. And Sean, although not a poor kid, did not come from this kind of storybook money, this, like, house in Maine uh, built on a rock promontory that looks out <laughs> over, uh, you know, Kennebunkhead. And, uh, and, you know, I think it, I think that kind of, like, exposure to preppy, millions uh do you know worked its magic on him in, in the sense of feeling um, boy this is hard not to project um yeah. like never quite fully arrived yeah never quite fully realized as a person almost i mean i don't know i, I speaking I had, in the abstract of course yeah, yeah yeah i had this experience going to the hbo emmy party where guys are walking around with a, with emmys in their hands which are surprisingly big statues and after about the 16th guy, like nebbishy 35-year-old guy in a tuxedo walked past holding an Emmy, I started to say, where's my fucking Emmy? Mm-hmm. I want an Emmy. I mean, these guys aren't any smarter than I am, and they got an Emmy. They're going to put that Emmy up on the mantle, and it's going to sit there the rest of their lives. And the day they die, the first thing the, the uh, obituary is going to say is that they want an Emmy. You know, it's a kind of like, you got that taken care of at least. And I think that that in is... In the sense of, I'm sorry, in the sense of like the canapé tray passed me, or in the sense of like, wow, now I really, really want one of those and I'm going to go work for it. Well, that's a that's an excellent question. I mean, I, the am I going to go, do I want an Emmy so badly that I'm going to go work for one? No, but has the, has the concept of not having an Emmy being a disappointment... <laughs> now been introduced. Has, has that been introduced into my mind? Yes. <laughs> And so yeah. this is, it goes back to this question of like, do, I mean, to get an Emmy, one must chase an Emmy, but it doesn't keep you from sitting around kind of, you know, grousing or uh, it, it, internally feeling that there is something missing from your life or your career. And that's why I feel like working in LA would be, is so, even being down there for a week. How can you, how can you be anything but perpetually broken? In it's LA. so crazy because your the whole culture there is about how nobody. It's it's an entire. It seems like I, I, I'm going to apologize in advance to my very very good friends who live there, but mm-hmm. the whole culture seems predicated on the idea that everybody wants more, and everybody wants to look like they've got more than somebody else, and it's perpetually looking over the shoulder of the person you're talking to to like you know kind of upgrade, 
And, and it's just, you know, in San Francisco, there's douchebag conversations to be certain, but there are things about like what school your kid goes to or stuff. But I just, the, the, the giantness of, of, um, of class dissatisfaction amongst rich people in LA is staggering to me. It seems like everybody wants to be on a better VIP list in LA. I think that's true, but uh, lately I have uh, I've I've been spending a little bit more time down there and and interacting with the with the creative class, which is to say the aspirational young people who are trying to get their scripts looked at and made. Mm-hmm. And the you know, and it's like anybody, it's like it's like young bands that start off and then one of them becomes successful. You've got six guys sitting around the table; they're all trying to get their scripts made, except for this guy over here who just won an Oscar. <laughs> and the level of achievement the level of possible achievement is so is so much greater you know like I, it just seems to me that having won an oscar and i mean this is looking at it from the outside once you've won an oscar i guess you have to get up the next day and brush your teeth and and uh and you, you know wipe your butt like anybody mm-hmm. like i i met lee unkrich who won an oscar for toy story 3 and I met him in the context of a party where I had I was standing there talking to him for a half an hour before it was made known to me by someone else that that he had just recently won an Oscar for Toy Story three. This was last year, year before. And uh, you know he's our age and a super nice guy, like a mellow dude. And he made it's not just that he won an Oscar, but that he made a thing. Of such consummate beauty. One of my favorite movies of all time. As Toy Story 3. Yeah, it's a tremendous movie. And so all of a sudden I'm standing there and I'm saying, oh, you and I have been talking about our dads for the last half hour, but right now I'm just going to completely switch gears and start talking about the incredible Holocaust metaphor in the form of a children's cartoon. Oh, thank you, John. (laughs) That you made. I'm so tired of having to A... Bring that up at a party. To B, have somebody tell me it's not true. To C, then have to make the entire room cry after an hour of explaining how Toy Story three is about the Holocaust. Yeah, I'm. I'm have we discussed this before? No, I don't think so. Oh, oh, this is the thing I do at every party. It's written in the fabric of the movie. You can't oh, possibly miss it. Really, the fire at the end? Come on! But but you're hiding I, them in an attic. If you don't cry at the end of Toy Story three, uh, then you're <sighs> then there's something dead inside you. Yeah. And I'm saying this to this guy like, so you made this wonderful thing, like an amazing thing, like a thing a thing that has all of the depth and breadth of 15 years of The Simpsons and also like the tragedy of... A Russian know. novel. Yeah, right. Of, of, it's like uh, it's a profound cartoon. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, oh, thanks, man. And I'm like, right, well, there's nothing more for me to say uh, about that except like high five and... Um, uh, let's talk what about. What were you looking for? Were you looking for a whiff of his his success, Musk? No, no, no. But 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 a but a sense of like. Well, I guess I guess the takeaway was uh, that having made a thing like that, his his only thought was about the next thing he was going to make. That's. I think that's very. I, I'm happy to say that I think that is not typical, but I think that's one of the laudatory. One of the things I really like about people like that is that it isn't like they want to arrive and then get their statue and run the next thing. And I have to say a lot of people I know who work at Pixar and DreamWorks are like this. They think a lot about like, okay, well, you know, we got another good one. Now let's make another, like now the next thing, the next thing. And they're, you know, they're always working a little bit on different projects and they're constantly looking, you know, learning the new tools because that's critical to what they do. And they're craftsmen. You know, they're, they're people who are just constantly thinking about like,
like, how do we keep building on this and making something great? Okay, now we've learned how to do hair. Now we've learned how to do the water. Now we know how to make the hair move with the wind and look good when it's wet. Now we're ready to make Incredibles. Now, you know what I mean? And it's, I, as, as a, as a Pixar Uber fan and and nerd, I have so much respect for that process. You know what I mean? And it's, you can, you can tell it's like, you know, like you say, like the fuck stains, you know, who learn guitar to meet girls. You can, it's so distinct. I'm not going to say LA, but it's so distinct from this culture of like sucking up to the right people. So, you know what? This is unkind. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. But well, it, it is, I, there's a meritocracy there. It's a hard place to work. Everybody's constantly kicking your ass to do things a hundred times better. It's a very Steve Jobsy kind of company where ridiculous perfection is expected of everybody and, and innovation. Uh, but this is the thing that I am carrying around with me a lot lately, which is that I do not, I do not locate in myself that drive. When I search, when I search my C drive, <laughs> I say, <Comma. laughs> I say, what files are here? Gleep glorp. I do not locate motivation. I do not pipe, find will to create ampersand. I, you know, I'm I'm searching through all these different folders marked like, relax, chill out, take a break. Cool. Whatever, you know, whatever, whatever two, whatever what three. <laughs> test, test, whatever. Final, final, thirty-six. And then I'm scrolling through. I'm scrolling through JPEGs at the at the bottom of like whatever, 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 whatever. And then there's a JPEG that's like, and they're all hey, titled untitled, untitled seventy-two. And then there's one that says, "Just do it." Thumbs up. And I click Delete. on it. I click on it, and it's a thumbnail picture. It's a, it's a sixteen by five. I can't even oh, see it. Oh no, no, no! Yes, yes, yes. And uh, and and you know, and I'm wondering, like, I'm wondering if uh, if it's just a vitamin D deficit. Yeah. Or, or sunshine. If, uh, you might need sun. But it does not. But 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 all of that does not uh, does not give me any relief when I look across the room at a. Um, at an Emmy Award, sitting on a table in front of some schmedrick, <laughs> and I think, what the fuck? What is that? What is I, that? I, the only way I can deal with that demon dog is to stay out of the room. I just don't enjoy. You actually, uh, I'm not going to talk too much about this, but you know how I feel about the divide, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm uncomfortable with the divide. And I, when I feel myself like moving toward this, like, oh, there's this more famous person over there. Mm-hmm. Well, like, what the fuck? Why do they want to meet me? And what would I say if they did? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, on the other hand, there might be somebody over there that does want to meet me who might be really super cool. It's just that I don't know what they're famous. They're not a famous Smedrick, you know? Yeah. And, and and then I always feel like if I do meet somebody like this on Chris Guy, who you've said before, sounds really nice. I'm going to totally go into like, like dumb Chris Farley mode. Right. Where it's going to be like, you know, the thing where Woody writes on the post-it note, we never see what the address was until that was awesome. <laughs> it was, uh, if you look really close and zoom in, it looks, the dinosaur looks a lot like a plastic dinosaur. Yeah. It's really, it was good how you did that. Yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, you know, I have, I have the advantage or, uh, or at least the trait of feeling like everybody is going to be interested in me because I'm passive. <laughs> Thank you, Dad. <laughs> and so, so going into a room full of famous people, I never feel cowed by it because it's no. like, oh yeah, they're going to be really. You found interested. your pole. You, you yeah. detected the pole. Yeah. Once they start, once they really start listening to me, they're they're going to stop look, looking over my shoulder. But of course, that is that is this fallacy uh, of thinking that 
all it takes to rise in the meritocracy is to be intrinsically meritorious rather than to do good work. You know, that is the, that is the fallacy of, I think, a well, whole generation and part of, the, of part of the truth is that in L.A., and this is why I cut myself off because I didn't want to sound like a dick, but you really do have to know people. And, like, you can't freeze a Rolodex, you know, from 1981 and expect, to have the same level of success today you have to well you you have to know people but you have to know things and you have to be working your ass off and and i I, you know i think the thing i struggle against is walking into a room and feeling like i am here and let the awards flow let the spice flow (laughs) the awards must flow (laughs) and and uh and realizing that you know there are a lot of people in this room just as talented who have also been working hard and they are they are more deserving and that is you know that is a thing that i could have tattooed on my fingers and look at every day and still not and still not feel no i i i totally appreciate that yeah did you see um there's a series jerry seinfeld does it's called something like uh something like getting coffee with comedians or something like that comedians in cars and something like that it's like yeah a, it's like a gary newman song yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is the deal we are driving in cars and the coffee is here what's the deal with this lid i keep hearing about this show but i haven't seen it yet. well there's i only mentioned it because there's it's it's cute you know he seems yeah. like a, he seems like a nice you know humble guy is cool but there's a great one where he goes over to rob reiner's house and then uh, rob reiner talks about how mel brooks comes to his house every night and and they they eat deli food off tv trays and watch jeopardy on the tivo and he and so he actually asked jerry if he wants to come and tag along and so it's truly truly for like something like whatever 30 40 50 years mel brooks comes over to carl reiner's house every night and they watch tv together right. which is a wonderful image to begin with but then really there they are they're sitting there eating shit tons of deli food on tv trays and watching tv and it becomes can you imagine what that room smells like <laughs> Mungo like candy. <laughs> These two guys with their hands down the front of their pants, <laughs> eating off a deli tray. It's a, of but it's it's adorable. They're worst. really old, and they're still they're they're still really funny, and they're super Jewish. But it becomes in my reading of the show, it becomes apparent that Mel Brooks is familiar with Jerry Seinfeld, but he's not super duper familiar and he's he, he's being a gentleman about it but i got the sense from watching it that he has not like sat down it wasn't like he instantly said to him oh i really like the one with the soup nazi or something right and I, I that was just my reading of it but there's something about that that seems to go to, to this discussion which was like you know is there anybody who by most metrics has been a more successful person in comedy in the last 30 years than jerry seinfeld like the guy did pretty well for himself sure but the guy who's like probably one of his biggest heroes is not no nah, that's not that super into it <laughs> yeah no brooks is an egot he's an egot he has what does emmy, that mean what does that emmy mean? grammy Oscar oh Tony. oh like uh, of, like rita of, rita moreno like rita moreno he's one of 10 living people or 10 people in history that are an egot i never knew that term now i have something else to be envious about emmy grammy oscar tony E-God. And as soon as I learned it, I was like, well, why don't I have an EGOT? <laughs> you love Broadway. Why the I have a fucking Tony Award? Didn't when, you ever, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. <laughs> didn't you ever see my one-man show? Guy sits at the end of a bar and writes in his journal. 
<laughs> I can't believe you and Sean aren't working together anymore. <laughs> that must have been a crowded van. <laughs> Too many hurt feelings. Really? Yeah, huh. Can you believe it? Uh, anyway, I, I'm just saying, you know, even Bono's got a boss, to, to quote a, a wise man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's always well, somebody I, everybody else is looking to and going, like, you know, if I were Jerry Seinfeld, I would probably laugh that off, too. And again, I might be reading that scene wrong, but it, I, I didn't get the sense that he was like, Jerry Seinfeld, like, we hang all the time, and, you know, and, and that's the thing, is everybody looks at everybody else, what everybody else has got, and they're always seeing something amorphous about them that represents the last puzzle piece in their particular thrift store collection. And I yeah. don't think that exists. Well, I, it, it doesn't because all, like because Lee Unkrich could be, Lee Unkrich could be out on his ass, you know, without a dime in his pocket. And he'd probably still want to go make a really good cartoon. Well, you, you, you keep climbing up that tree and you finally get up to what is the meaning of this? What is the meaning of life? And is it just that you succeed? You know, I think about this all the time. The people, the people that I have known who have devoted their lives to pursuing adventure sports who are like... Is that like, they, like rock climbing or something? Oh, they snowboard in the winter and they surf in the summer. Or they snowboard in the winter and then in the summer they fly down to South America and snowboard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know a lot of these people personally from growing up with them. And and the idea... Uh, the the, the uh, doubt has never been introduced into their mind that this is anything other than an awesome way to spend your life. And... And I wonder whether they don't have a greater store of wisdom somehow, or they haven't been around the uh, the the karma loop a few more times than I have, or something that they can that they are so effortlessly able to enjoy life and and not care that that the only mark they're making on the earth is their snow track that's going to get. But maybe that's maybe that's their duck. You know, this is since introducing that term uh, a few a few weeks ago. I, I to me and to the world, I think about that a lot now. I think a lot about finding your duck. Mm. To be honest, really, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I think that's kind of what you're talking about. This entire conversation is about there's this thing out there that I in my genes, my genes are, sh- are telling me that there's this thing out there that I should be seeking out. Your dad genes. <laughs> they're, listen, they're comfortable. <laughs> they are telling me eat more pie. I'm wearing my like uncle jeans today. I'm wearing oh. like my 34, 30, so 34s or 35s. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying. You are you you have a feeling of predestination. Here's the problem, and this is the problem at the heart of the the finding your duck problem is that just because you know that there's something out there for you. And just because you know you want something, that may be that or not, intensely, and you know what I mean? There's all these things that can be extremely intense. The, the gestalt of that is not actually all that useful yeah. until you know what the duck is. Now, part of finding the duck might be that you not need to be an egot. You might want to just be a guh. But my concern is that— And you my, say, well, I'm just going to work the shit out of getting, <laughs> uh, getting something on Broadway. My concern is that my duck is to be discontent. Hmm. I think that that's a Jewish thing. I think it is. It is, and I don't even have that advantage. I mean, the <laughs> no, reason that nobody Ma- likes a dissatisfied Caucasian. The, the reason that that Mel Brooks, you know, is is a little bit less impressed with Jerry Seinfeld is that in the the third inner room uh, in every Jewish temple, there's a there's like a little uh, mound, uh, and uh, the the the, the top ranking ones sit higher up on the mound. 
So it's all it's all some inner it's some inner workings thing. Are you, because, is he serious? Is this a protocol to the elders of Zion thing? Yeah, I'm just making it up. There's no mound. Inner mound. There's <laughs> not even a there's not even a third inner room. Nice try. I'm gonna look it up and I'm gonna <laughs> learn about these mounds. There's a tabernacle. There's uh it's covered with a cloth. It's a mound. You have to wear a special you have to wear special underwear. You gotta put a wire around it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't uh, know. The duck I find all I'm saying, John. Don't change the subject because I think Still John looking is something for my duck. Here. I really am. The duck, the duck is because you know. I mean, I felt this way. I, I, I have to be honest. I don't consider myself a writer anymore mm. because I don't. I don't like writing for a job that much. Mm. I really like writing, um, and I feel certain that that within the next few months or years, it's something that I will want to do with more earnestly. After I've you know burned off some of the bad karma of my writing experiences in the last few years, I love doing it. It's just that that wasn't my duck. I thought that was my duck, and I made myself very unhappy because I was convinced that that I was the hunter of that duck. Yeah. And it took a different kind of thinking. I'm not saying this is you, but like for me, it took me getting to the point where I went, you know, fuck it. This is this is not. I'm ready to let go of my pride and say that I'm somebody who likes doing this, but I'm not. That is not who I am. And it made me so much happier. I'm still trying to figure out what my duck is. This is kind of my duck, isn't that sad? But I like, don't know. it's not sad. It's this wonderful. is a good duck. This could be a worse duck. But, but uh, you know, that's I what think we my all face. Is... We all face that every. We all face that every day. And then the, the thing is, if we have our idea of the false duck, we're rejecting a lot of good stuff along the way. Anyway, I'm doing my thing now. But the, I, I, I think, think that's my an important duck thing. is to is to uh, help people. Is to be helpful to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, largely, people who cannot be helped. And there's you a, help the there, unhelpable. There's a, I mean, if 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 my duck was to make You're like money, Mother Teresa with, with I'm a the train, bit like Mother Teresa. That's exactly right. Except I don't want dirty little sick kids touching me. The brown ones. I don't want. I don't. I don't care what color they are. If they're yeah. dirty and sick and poor. Well, you may. You may. My friend, you may want to rethink your 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 trip to the uh, to the aisle. Mm. One You're in saying four. that there are a lot of dirty little sick poor. And they kids spell and, they spell feces really weird there. They put an A in it. I don't think that Ireland. Still, the Ireland and Scotland are still the Ireland and Scotland that you are thinking of from Christmas carols. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have made some dramatic improvements uh-huh. since Victoria had her I'm trying to think, now, trying to think of what I specifically know. Now, you're right. When I think about Christmas carols, I think a lot about the, the Isle of what we've now called the UK. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what specifically... <laughs> I know about Irish Christmases and Scottish Christmases. This isn't simply going to be like a Sid Caesar bit. <laughs> <laughs> they would uh, they would get coal in their stockings and they would be uh, overjoyed because thrilled, it's, thrilled. it's the first square meal that they've had in a week. <laughs> because now they can put their stocking back on. Me feature call Santa. Heart to heart to tire. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, God, I can't believe you're going to do that. So starting, so in some ways, I guess starting with Max FunCon through our thing, which we should probably mention, yeah. um, maybe, we, should we make that the sponsor this week? Yeah, we should. We, we should make that the sponsor. Uh, our, okay. big, our big show uh, at the Showbox on Monday. The 29th of October, 2012. 29th of October. It's going to be a hilarious show, uh, largely improvised by very talented improvisers. White five five white men in brown tuxedos. Yeah, you me Scott Simpson and the others and the rest. And the, the other two guys I can't remember <laughs> and their names. And the rest. I know I know that uh, I know that you uh you weren't uh, you didn't like the brown tuxedo idea and frankly I didn't like the tuxedo idea. Frankly, I when that was all going down at a certain point Hodgman felt like they had reached a quorum. Yeah. 
But I don't think that I don't think that was actually true. I think that I, I felt I felt I have learned I have learned that I treasure my friends and I pick my fights. And mm-hmm. I don't. Sometimes I keep picking them after I thought it healed, mm-hmm. but I but I, the fight heals. But I keep picking it. Um, and you know, there's some things you got to let go of. I Brown just, tuxedos. I, I thought it was a little. I think it's a it's a, it's a little, little gimmicky and it's a lot mm-hmm. of dough and it introduces entropy. And it's too late for any of that to matter because now we're renting brown tuxedos. Yeah, we're renting brown tuxedos. It's going to be amazing. It'll be People handsome. Are going to come, they're going to come to the show. They're going to be like, what? Oh, my God. Even though I heard about this on a podcast, yeah. I didn't believe it until I saw Can it. Can you really play guitar in a tuxedo? Oh, sure. I've played guitar, a lot of guitars in tuxedos. I think they did that on the Brady Bunch. How the guitar got in my tuxedo, I'll never know. <laughs> waka, waka, waka. <laughs> <laughs> uh, inside, yeah, so of inside of a dog it's too dark to read so we are so i'm going to max fun con then i'm coming back the next day we're doing our show yeah and then uh there's some time in then there it all fucking all... falls apart because you're but now you got to get ready you got to get your papers in right. order and then i then i fly to scotland and then Ugh. i fly to ireland and then i fly to san francisco then i go across the country with jonathan colton and then i end uh in new york where we're playing a christmas show a christmas pageant in New York, second week of December. So between now and then, I'm going to have fewer baths, mm. probably more, I'm going to say more meatball sandwiches. But like, you can have less control over them. That's right. It's going to be fewer baths. I'm going to have almost no meatball sandwiches in the bath. Um, and then it's going to be Christmas. And then I have to get up the next, I have to get up on New Year's Day and start all over again. Start making my nut. <laughs> Your duck nut. I have to start making that nut every year now because uh, because now now I have now I'm now I'm doing this. I don't have to make money. I have to make money to live. Is this a new thing you're uh, picking up on? <laughs> well, for years, you know, until I was thirty, I never made more than nine hundred dollars a month because I had adjusted every expectation in every aspect of my life to to fit comfortably in a $900 a month economy. So I had <laughs> right. a 300 I had a $300 a month uh, apartment which was an you know a, a loft that had no bathroom. <laughs> Ample milk jug. <laughs> and uh, and I I got my mail and did and did all of my socializing and I mean basically my living room was a cafe where I knew everybody that worked there and they you know and they uh, they treated me like uh, like I lived there, basically. And then I worked about 20 hours a week, and I spent the rest of the time playing rock and roll and chasing girls. And then for the last 10 years, I have been, or, you know, for the, for, the, for the first seven years of my 30s, I was in a van the whole time, driving around, playing in, uh, staying in hotels and playing in, in uh, rock clubs. And then I made a little bit of money, and then I spent, four years sitting on my ass and now i'm 44 years old and i have to figure out how to make a living uh-huh does this sound familiar yeah <laughs> i've i've uh except for all the other parts every, everything else about it was completely different every every not a single bit of that is was me until the last part and that's uh, me yeah it's kind of it's kind of everybody, but it's especially me. I'm envious of the people who are secure. <clears throat> I'm envious of the people who are like, yeah, you know, I'll just uh, go do this thing, and I'm like, how do you go do that thing? Like, you you just go do that thing. Like, don't you have to plan a lot for that? 
<laughs> Don't you have to move a lot of stuff around to do that? But that's yeah. It's uh, so that starts on January first. We should put that on our calendar. What making money? You making money day? It starts. You know we should we should start next year. Next year should be we're making money year. Whoa! And that's right? you think that's something we as we help ourselves. Well, let's be honest. We're helping ourselves with this show too. Well, obviously, we'll be help, we could be helping other people too. We give people opportunities. We show them things. Show them ducks they weren't even aware. That's existed. right. As we start making seemingly extinct ducks, people are going to say, "If those two ding dongs can make money, mm-hmm. I can make money." Hmm. Right, John. I got to be honest with you. I'll cut this out, but there's a shit ton of money to be made in telling people how they can make money. Oh, I know. It's but, really. It's. I'm. No, I'm just saying. It's getting tight. We're getting old. Like you yeah. understand, we're all. It's all downhill from here. It's not. We're not going to have years that get better. So we yeah, may yeah. have to resort to helping people, quote unquote, get quote unquote rich, quote unquote. Right. Get rich. Get. You know what? It's. You have to work smarter before you work harder. You have to work smarter. Mm-hmm. Before you but work. But what harder. if you could be smarter and harder? And what not if have I to could work? be smart and hard mm-hmm. and not have to work? I like this. I like where this is going. Before you answer, let me ask you this. I, I, you know, I, I just I want to run a seminar where I teach people to be retired directors of the CIA. <laughs> Wait a minute! This is it. You found it. You found your end run. You found your flanking maneuver. So. You're, so the, the problem, as I understand it, is you want to be a retired senator but right. that or retired general, but that requires you being a senator and or general in order to become I, retired. Exactly. But there's nothing to stop you from teaching other people how to do it. Hello? Ho! Wait a minute. And I think this is something – I think that already you have lit a fire amongst our listeners about the worlds of possibility that are out there, whether they like it or not. And there's no reason, there's no fucking reason that you couldn't fill up the ballroom at a, at a Motel 6 with people who are interested in learning more about how to become the thing that you're not, but kind of want to be. Right. Do you think they'll pay $125 for a packet? They'll borrow it. I mean, you know, you quit getting uh, you know, lottery tickets and cools for a month. You can come in and, and, and really learn how to become a gentleman with John. Become a gentleman with John. All, all of those fortunes are, are packet-based fortunes. You know, you have to sell people a packet. Yeah, it helps to have a, you know, you, oh, I'm, look who I'm telling this to. You work with Jonathan Colton. You gotta have a merch table in the back. I've gone to self help, I've gone to see one of the preeminent self help gurus of the century, and he had a place in the back. He was selling baseball hats. You can sell baseball hats, you can sell CDs, you could sell, uh, you know, you could sell all kinds of stuff. You, you yeah. know, you're a, you're a, whatever the opposite of a commodity is. I guess a I'm struggling a, musician. I'm a, a, a non commodity. You're a special little guy is what you are. <laughs> God, that, that bus is going to be stinky. Oh. Is it going to be, what is it going to be, the five of you? Any bus is stinky. I mean, thing, Look at, thing I mean is, it's right in the name, bus. You know, that's yeah. this, and, and do they, it has windows and stuff. Now, is this a coach? Is this going to be like one of those, like, hey, look, it's Willie Nelson kind of buses? No, 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 no. It's a bus with, with a living room. And okay, a, no, that's what I mean, though. It's like going to be like being in a spaceship. Yeah, it's like being in a spaceship. And the thing is, you got five, six guys who are all in their all in their forties. It's a different kind of smell than five or six guys all in their twenties. You know, in a good that, way. Well, I don't know. I mean, which do you like better? I guess it's pick your. I don't. I, don't, I really don't care for either of them. But one yeah, of my questions exactly. is like, so I'm thinking it's it's like it's like an RV, but but a lot nicer, bigger, right? Bigger and nicer. Bigger and nicer. But like, how do you bathe? Is there, well, is there one you, shower? No, you pull in and you pull into a town and get a hotel room, and everybody 
uses it as a as oh. like a way station. You oh, okay, but it's, it's got a pooper on. though, right? You can you can you can hit the can in the bus, right? You don't poop in the bus. What? The first bus I ever toured on. Wait, this changes director. everything. You can't poop on it. I, I walked into the bus, the first bus I had ever been on. I was so like, oh I my just God, found I, had that my, out. I had my suitcase, I had my guitar case, I picked my bunk, and I went into the toilet, and there was a big sign over the toilet that said, no mud pickles. That takes a lot of the value off it for me. I'd rather, I'd rather deal with dissipating the uh, after effects than not having that. To me, that, that, that takes it all. That's like not having seats in it, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, the reason you don't go poo on the bus is that no matter, I mean, you, we can put a man on the moon. Mm-hmm. We can make a sports car that runs on electric power. A guy can jump out of a balloon in outer space and fall to Earth. But you cannot make a mobile toilet that doesn't stink up the whole bus with poop. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't care if the toilet is just a hole in the, in the floor of the bus and the poo just goes right out on the pavement. Mm-hmm. Somehow, psychologically that poo will stay there Ugh. with you as you go down the road. It's like a portalette. It's got that, it's got the portalette problem of, of it's, it's all about collection. It's not about dissipation. Yeah. And you can't, you can't just can't have that. All the other smells that are happening, all the other, the close proximity, the, the, uh, the, like, I'm tired of seeing you guys. Oh, the, the, let's be honest. The onanism, that's going to be, have to have to be something you it's guys gonna, work there's out. Some, there's some of that. Everybody in their, in their bunks at night, pretending that they're asleep. Well, do you guys have white noise or how do you cover that up? Now the bus is loud. Because the thing is, guys, mm-hmm, it better well, be. Because guys in their 20s can finish that quick. But you guys, you, you know, you might need to warm up, do some stretching exercises. <laughs> you're saying, have some you're electrolytes. Saying guys, you're saying that guys in their 40s when they masturbate are louder than guys in their 20s? They need well, more I'm, I'm not a scientist, but it seems to me that your memory's not as good. You're certainly not as coordinated. You're kind of talking to yourself like, huh, yeah, well. <laughs> what, 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 what? I saw I saw him. <clears throat> Tall lady at the uh, turn around, turn around. I no. saw her at the no. uh, that uh, oh, that Denny's, oh, that Denny's. What, what was her name? Oh Just God damn! Second, what was I doing? Second, what was uh, I doing? <laughs> Mabel. <laughs> Mabel. Masturbating is complicated. <laughs>